From Los Angeles, California, this is Burncast and I'm the bomb. Happy Tutu Tuesday and welcome to Burncast. In today's episode, I meet up with a man whose playa name has, in his words, evolved from Huck to Chuck to Chuckles and finally to Charcoal. The latter is in reference to the fact that he is a survivor of having fallen into the burning embers of the man after Burn Night at Burning Man 2006. Before we begin the story, let's begin with the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. A few weeks ago on June 30th, 2009, the California Court of Appeal handed down a decision that a man who was burned after running across the burning embers of the man in 2005 could not sue the Black Rock City LLC. Anthony Benatti admitted he had intentionally walked into the fire and that he had previously known the fire was hot. But he argued, basically, that the Black Rock City LLC were negligent because they should not have let him approach the fire so closely. Benatti lost his case. The following day after that story broke, we posted a commentary on our blog from a lawyer and fellow burner named Skyclad Rhythm. While his analysis of the ruling is worth checking out, it's the final paragraph that really made me stop and think. Skyclad wrote, quote, The justices elevated our grand event to the status of commemorative ritual. No longer can it be marginalized as that hippie drug thing in the desert. I'm not sure if this is the first published Playalicious appellate decision, but Burning Man is now certainly in the law books. Unquote. You can read more of Skyclad's editorial as well as download a full copy of the court documents by clicking on the show notes for this episode at burncast.tv. Okay, that's it for the Burncast Community Bulletin Board. Let's move on with today's episode. Here in three acts, we'll hear the story of Charcoal, who was burned when he ran through the embers of the man in 2006. This particular episode of Burncast was extremely difficult for me to work on because of the graphic nature of his story. It's a story full of physical and emotional pain, trauma, and suffering, and there were times while I was working on this piece that I just had to get up and do something else for a while. At the time of this recording, Charcoal arrived at the house of a friend of mine in San Francisco a few days after Burning Man 2007. He told me that in order for him to talk about his ordeal, he had to begin with the story of how he first came to Burning Man. Let's listen. So we'll start with your name and uh, where you're from and how long you've been going to Burning Man. My player name is Charcoal. I thought it was Chuckles. <laughs> well, it's kind of a bit of an evolution. It, it began as Huck and Huckles. Well, Huckles, as in Huckleberry Finn. Uh-huh. So my camp friends knew me as Huck. And then, then I had a bit of an incident <laughs> at the end of the, that ended my first Burning Man. And I got renamed Charcoal. And then this year I've been introducing myself as Charcoal. And as I do it, like it's, it's kind of like people hear it, like they say the chuckles, because I'm usually laughing. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> so so they, go, they, go, they go, Charcoal, they go, Chuckles. <laughs> and so like I've just become, yeah, it's, it's just kind of evolved. So yeah, I guess it's Chuckles, man. It's, it's, it's kind of come very strange places well how did you get your fly named charcoal it's uh basically i i fell in the fire i <laughs> what happened 
to begin this story, I have to go back a long time. Okay. One year before. Okay. I had an experience in Vietnam that was quite life-changing. It made me question myself down to my core. It was a fairly horrific experience, and it shook me to my absolute base, like the concept of who I was. I went pretty much mad for a couple of months. I was that shocked. And basically, the act that I did was so horrific for me that it made me question down to my core who I am and what I'm about. So for the whole year after that, I kind of got it back together, but felt kind of a really kind of twisted, like thing deep in my soul. And I didn't feel like myself. And my normal self is always laughing, always laughing. And I lost that part of me and I was incredibly sad. And- Can you talk about what happened? I can explain to a degree mm-hmm. in that I kind of came in contact with my inner demon, like the kind of personification of all the worst things of myself, the things that I denied about myself. There's like ego and anger, fear, violence. It came from a place that I only understood lately is after from when I was very young. And then this one part of my kind of ongoing understanding of what happened relates to perhaps understanding myself and forgiving myself and understanding myself to a deeper level. So essentially I had a moment where I expressed all that pain. In Vietnamese it's called Dao Lam. Mm-hmm. It means great pain. There's even a word for it. There's a lov- lovely other Vietnamese expression, which is Kom Sao Dao, which means no star wear. It's a non sequitur it's beautiful. It's just mad kind of Zen saying. And Kom Sao is like, no problem. Kom Sao Dao is like, no star wear. It's like a pun on words. And like when I went scuba diving for the first time, that I kept popping back up and they asked me how it was. And I went, Kom Sao Dao. <laughs> and they, they loved it. The Vietnamese guy in the boat laughed and so silly. And so basically I ran into what kind of saved me is my friend Nova, who is the girl that introduced me to to, to Burning Man. She's a lovely Cambodian girl born in a Thai refugee camp, grew up in the States. She's beautiful. She's three quarters angel, one quarter devil. <laughs> she, she's got the most beautiful smile and she's cheeky and lovely. And I was walking out of work one time and I was feeling pretty worn out and it was like bright, beautiful Saturday morning. I just finished a night shift and I walked out and, uh, who, and I really needed someone to talk to and who should I run into but Nova. And like she just gave me a huge hug and we hung out for four days. And then Ed, and she kind of cured me to a degree. And she said, you should come to Burning Man. And so uh, I guess nine, eight months or so later, I, I came to Burning Man. As I approached, things, strange things happened. Like I found out afterwards that my friends dropped me off at the airport, had a really strange feeling. And I actually spoke to one of their friends and said, doesn't feel right, doesn't feel right. And when I got to Phoenix, like I just flown from like when I was in London before having the best time uh-huh. and my birthday like I had birthday celebrations or like or kind of like birthday celebrations but like catching up with friends in London and I couldn't get on the plane normally I'm skipping and dancing like get get me on the plane right. but I was dragging my feet and then when I hit Phoenix I just got a deep sense that like a really deep fear like a deep sense of of something was gonna gonna happen 
And I spoke to Nova and said, I don't think I should go. And she said, you know, like everyone feels a little bit of fear and like this mad kind of energy and like, you know, you'll be right. And then... That's <laughs> my phone. Just ignore it. <laughs> See, that's one of the things is getting too serious. <laughs> just a little bit like, God, man. Lighten up. Like, hey, exactly, right. Love and laughter. That's, <laughs> that's my friend Joanne Gerald. She's a very bright woman. Very wise, too. She, wants, she told me, anytime you're in the trouble, it's like love and laughter. It's always the answer. All right, just real quick, as it's getting heavy, how did you end up with um, the, the... You said Phoenix? How did you get from... You should go to Burning Man to flying into Phoenix to go to Burning Man. Why wouldn't you go to Reno? Essentially, because uh, all my friends are from Phoenix. Like I should add, I first heard about Burning Man at a, a cyberbiology conference at Cambridge uh, with Douglas Adams and uh, the guy organizing the, organizing the conference said, oh, "You know, Burning Man, you should come." That was the first time I heard, like ten years before. Anyway, my friends were from Phoenix and Arizona, so. That's where we started from. Okay. As we drove up in the RV, uh, the feeling inside me got stronger and stronger. It was really weird. It was like I was kind of my soul was being twisted tight, like oh a taut. And Monova was picking up on it. And she's like, "What the hell's going on with you? Like, you have to be cool with my friends. You can't, you can't flip out. You have, you have to sort your own shit out. Like, you have to be strong." And then I got closer and closer to the festival. And as I arrived, it was Wednesday night, this huge dust storm blew across the playa. So as I arrived at sunset and all the traffic snaking in, this huge kind of dust storm blew in. And uh, when I entered in, the, the dust storm prevented me ringing the bell. And so when I was inside, I was still got this horrible feeling and just feeling I hadn't entered the Burning Man properly. I hadn't hadn't kind of been initiated in. I felt wrong. But I'd left my bikes by accident at Wilcor to drove back after the storm had cleared and with my friend Scott and then the two of us kind of rode through because he knew, he knew that we got hitched rides and it was wonderful all these people kind of helping us out so I got to be kind of greeted and properly properly yeah, yeah. and then then I got to ring the bell and as I picked up the rebar I kind of told the girls to stand back and put their hands on their ears and sound like and kind of like it with a hell of a whack and like the, the bell just kind of rang and the year before I had in Vietnam I'd rung a bell in a Buddhist temple. It was a very full-on experience. So this ringing the bell at Burning Man, first of all, what year was this? 2005 was the year I went to okay, Burning Man. Okay, so you rang that bell did it, and it resonated? Actually, no, I lied, 2006. 2000, okay, so <laughs> when you rang the bell in 2006, it resonated back to that time in Vietnam? Yeah, and it was almost a year to the day that oh, I rang the wow. bell. The bell, I should explain, was kind of like a, a bell of a, atonement. Mm -hmm. I was greeted by a, a girl in a white shirt and uh, she led me up to the bell and it was guarded by an old nun and when I rang it uh, the nun went absolutely crazy just absolutely ballistic and then I kind of succumbed ambulated around the temple around the Buddha and then came back down and I had to ring the bell twice and as I rang it a second time I didn't wait for the full time for the tone to end so when I hit it a second time the bell began to, to resonate like a like with a rhythm so when I rang the bell at Burning Man, it, it rang clear and beautiful and clear. And as it rang, my soul kind of cleared. And as I walked in, it, it was just it was one of the most magic weeks of my life. So that fear and angst just fell away. Just disappeared. Yeah. That 
was Charcoal telling the story of how he first got to Burning Man in 2006. Coming up in the second act, Charcoal explains in graphic detail the turn of events in which he fell into the burning embers of the man and survived. I'd always dreamed of a place that would exist like this. You mean like Black Rock City? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I always, if I'd ever kind of added that, like even little small parts of it, like, you know, what, what would it be like if, you know, like if people had like a chance to express and everyone was an artist? I mean, everyone listening to this knows the experience is articulates better than I will ever. Yeah, yeah. And so I was led from various places in the end by a couple of cheeky Irish imps. Irish imps? <laughs> yeah, no, looking, for, looking for a jumping castle. <laughs> and you want to help us look for a jumping castle? Hell yeah. <laughs> so we cruised along. <laughs> and and, um, and uh, they wandered into this camp and um, they happened to have Oregon plates. So I knew he was from Oregon and went, it was introduced and basically there was a beautiful bunch of guys from Oregon that were just about to retire physicians, doctors, and a North American Indian musician and another beautiful blues musician, Stormy Rice. Mm-hmm. So I, I basically hung out and my, my, I was actually chasing the imps because they're quite cute. <laughs> but I ended up chatting to these guys and they were just so interesting, really, really amazing, lived amazing lives. And I had an amazing and deep kind of time with them. The physician was lovely. And like I'm, I should add, like I work as a physician as well, so there's this kind of weird linkage. And he was really interesting. He, he had a tattoo on his shoulder that was a, a nataraja, so like a what is that? nata is to dance, and uh, raja is lord of, and it's a representation Indian uh, from Indian Hindu mythology or cosmology of uh, Shiva dancing, and Shiva dances within a circle of fire. In one hand, he holds a drum for rhythm, which is creation. And in the other hand, in his left hand, he holds a fire, which is a fire of destruction. His other two hands have one hand, which means no fear, abhyasa. And then the last hand, he points to his foot. And his foot is raised because he's in the middle of a dance. And the dance he's dancing is on a little gnome. And the little gnome represents the little man within all of us, like the little person. And the, he shows his triumph over the little man in a cosmic dance. But my friend's tattoo did not have any fire around it. Mm-hmm. And so he had come to Burning Man because he had lost his son. Okay. And his son sounded magic. Like he told a beautiful story of how they got some coyote, coyote wildness, some coyote craziness and magic. And he, he, he and his partner went up and... and and one night, this finally got too much, and they painted some some pictures on the wall next to the the Indian paintings. And the next day, when they opened the door, all the Indians were standing around them, and all silent, just standing. And is actually like a sign of, I believe, a sign of respect. And he's was bringing his son's ashes to the temple, I believe. Like he brought a beautiful album of all the photos of his son, and we had a very kind of beautiful deep kind of sharing yeah at the end of that it got to sunset and on burn night on burn night he gave me a a present which is an antique uh, romanian shaman's mask 
it's one hell of a thing, like with horns, mm -hmm. I think human hair, her face, like kind of really grotesque, a kind of big bulbous kind of red nose and kind of slightly sexual. And like there's a female equivalent. He took the female one and gave me the male one and said, this will protect you. And at that point, uh, I don't know if I can say everything I want to say. Okay. But essentially, uh, I caught up with my friends and showed them the mask. It's kind of quite scary. But he said it's to scare away the demons. Uh -huh. it's to, it has to be scary. And uh, when I lost my friends, and I introduced Nova to them, but then I lost Nova and lost my friends. And then by the time I got back to camp, I'd lost them as well. So then I caught an art car in with uh, animal control mm -hmm. and uh, watched the man burn. And like I was transfixed. Earlier I kind of had, I don't know, I had a sense that perhaps I was going to be sacrificed. It was a very strange thought. And then after the man burnt, I kind of came in a pretty much like in a trance. I joined the kind of drumming circle and I had a, a strange kind of black kind of fur coat and I had white glowing lights all over me. I was wearing a jacket and my jeans, shoes, and I waited till the, f the fire kind of died down and the, the people started circling. And then I waited and waited and waited till I th felt it was going to be safe. But at the same time, like, knew that it was going to be risky. But, like, I became... Since he convinced, like compelled to run over the fire, it's kind of like a duty, or like an obligation, uh, a test. And I knew that if I was kind of pure of heart, then I would kind of make it through. And the way I imagine making it through is just running all over the top of the fire. And if I was impure, then I would probably perish. And I would burn. And I didn't have any awareness of any other possibility to do that. It was just a question of, of, of not stuffing it up, like not getting crash tackled. Like I knew the rangers were standing around to protect people. And I saw them crash tackling people. And then I waited till I thought it was as safe and there wasn't so much flame. And I ran. And I timed it beautifully right between the two guys. And I started sprinting. And as I ran up, ran over, like running over the coals and could hear them kind of crunching beneath my feet. And as I ran, I kind of sloped up a hill and I realized that the, the embers at the center were actually quite high off the ground, like they're quite deep. And I got a bit scared, but then I realized if I ran back, I was kind of worried that the rangers would kind of, I don't know, like be really unhappy with me and arrest me or, I don't know, not arrest, but you know, like, it, and so I kind of thought about turning back, but just kept on running. So then I sprinted fast as I could. And I got to right at the center where it was highest. And as I, I ran, it suddenly co like collapsed underneath my weight. So I fell in feet first oh my God. up into to my chest uh, in like glowing hot kind of yellow red embers like with fire around me, like completely inside the bonfire. I first thought, I was like, oh, oh, this ain't good. <laughs> and like, and just like, I was just like, I'll just get out. But like, as I moved, like all the embers would move around me like quicksand. My legs were trapped. I was completely trapped. My arms were free above, but like, there's no way I could get, get myself out. 
at that point I got very scared and I thought perhaps someone could come in and rescue me but there's no way anyone could rescue me because they just fall in this kind of pit as well and then I thought maybe a crane and there were cranes around but like to move a crane in and take ages and like I would I'd burn and then I realized I'd probably have be burned 60% capacity and all the kind of fun bits and like the possibility even to like wanting to survive that I just I didn't want to and so then I accepted that it was my fate I understood it was karmic and it, if this was my due this is my due this was this is what I, I deserved and this is how I was gonna go and so then I went into a prayer position and put my hands together and, and bowed my head and stayed there for I don't know how long. And then when I opened my eyes, I saw a piece of white hot metal that was part of the structure. And I realized that if I put my hand down on it, I might be able to get enough kind of purchase to lift myself up. And I knew it would burn my hand. And so I just put my hand down on it and pushed and pushed with another right hand down into the fire. My right hand just kind of plunged through like the embers. It's like water. And but the left hand was likely the structure was enough support and managed I managed to get my knees just up to the surface. At that point I just started like running, like so knee deep, like running through water, but like just sprinting and just like embers like running around, I just running f for dear life. And then I eventually got to like more, more solid kind of bits. And I stopped and looked at my hand and I could see uh, flesh falling off it. And I realized that I, like my hand, left hand had been really incredibly badly injured. At that point, the rangers were calling out to me like, get out of the fire, get out of the fire. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm bringing a burning man fire. <laughs> so I forgot. forgot. So I kind of ran out. And uh, as they ran out, uh, they they were screaming at me, get down on the ground, get down on the ground, get down on the ground. I was like, okay, like hit the ground. Because I think, I, like I basically must have been on fire, I think. Uh -huh. And like, my, I, goodness, what kind of side, like my ass gets on fire and clothes on fire. And uh I hit the grounds and they, uh, I think they hit me with my fire extinguishers and then they, uh, cutting my clothes off because all the, everything, all the socks and stuff had melted and then they, uh, I was reasonably together and like I asked for some, some cold water to be poured on my hands and then this, this, uh, and my, the pain in my hands, both hands just started really, really starting to increase. When I put my hand on it didn't really hurt that much but afterwards the pain started to kick in and I was my head was cradled by an absolutely beautiful girl beautiful woman that was in like a fire engine hat she had fire engine hat and and clothes and she had the most beautiful face and she just struck my hand so I was just lying there looking up at her good like divine face looking up at stars and while there was kind of commotion like people were pretty freaked out <laughs> and, and so then yeah, then they put me on a, the ambulance came and they put me on a trolley in the ambulance and uh, they were driving me, like moving me, putting me into the ambulance and along the way and I was at this point feeling like, oh my God, what have I done? I like, you know, like, what, like, like just ashamed and I was just like, like embarrassed and like I just felt so small and just, just like, and just really starting to like realize the gravity of what it 
not beginning, just the beginning of the gravity of what happened. And I was standing here really heavy, and this um, guy followed, walked up, and like he followed me home and goes, Whoa, dude, man, oh, that's fucking awesome. Oh, high five, dude. Everyone's doing like a high five, and I'm got like, I'm like high five, dude. Oh, man. I don't know. I'm not sure if I told that right, but that guy is a, that guy deserves gold medal, man. In my book, <laughs> fucking brilliant. It was the absolute worst kind of moment of my life. <laughs> it was like the worst moment of life. I thought can't get any worse. This guy like, just cracks the best funny, like he was gonna, <laughs> and like I guess love and laughter. So. <laughs> <laughs> put you emotionally i mean were you like where were you you were describing the events how were you feeling were you fearful or i mean uh, immediately after or during or the whole before? process like where take me through it what was the answer when you said what am i doing what did you tell yourself i kind of believed i was a shaman and i believed i like like, if I'm going to take on that role, or if I am that person, then I'm not, I owe it to the bonus to be that, or to, to do what... Like, I worry about it, because it also is, like, a very arrogant thing to do. Mm-hmm. Incredibly arrogant. And, like, the fire is sacred. And, like, I ran myself through it. It's a very selfish act as well. But ultimately, I... Ultimately, I don't quite... I'm still in the process of understanding. And for me, it's sort of become like a singularity. Like, my whole life funnels into that point, and then I pop out the other side. And the best way I can describe it is it felt like water going down a plug hole. The feeling before was just like water going down a plug hole. It's just like kind of vortex. And like the bottom bit of the the hole, like the gate, yeah, it was like a gate. And through the, the fire was like the gate. And then coming out the other side... I, like, whatever that was that was torturing me left. In some ways, I think it, the idea of perhaps it was incarnate in me. That's all fun and games until suddenly you're in a burning fire. And, like, you don't want to hang around in a body that's going to burn that death. That's not going to be very fun. So whatever it was, I felt bugged out right at that point. It bugged out, it chickened. Did it, it ever left. come back? No. Yeah. So what happened after the... Rangers came after after they fire extinguished me. Or yeah, uh-huh. they were they were. I mean, they were fantastic. Like everyone was fantastic. It was amazing. The burner community, like afterwards, is just amazing. Like the support and the things that people did, like the, the things that people, like kindness. Uh, I can't even express it. That like everywhere I went, people were just going out of their way to help me. Like, when I was completely helpless, all these people came. And, like... Weren't you medevaced out? I was medevaced out. And they were going to fly me out in the chopper. Mm-hmm. And uh, the medical director, Dr. Ryan, he was, uh, he was amazing. The nurses and, and him were all very somber. Like, in the ambulance, like, when I looked under the light, I could see see my fingers. And it looked looked like a mummy's finger. Like, you could see the... You could see... And, like, I thought I was going to lose my left hand. I thought they were going to have to amputate most of the fingers and thumb. 
and I didn't worry too much about work. What I worried about, I really got sad about guitar. Because I love guitar, I love playing music. And I even played sitar one time in India. And just the idea of not being able to play guitar ever again just made me deeply sad. But uh, he tested, tested my sensation. I actually still had some sensation, amazingly. And then there was another girl that was injured much greater. And so the, the, the shopper had to, had to go. To, to the like Dr. Ryan was kind of like caught and I was just like no no like like I'm fine like all I needed was some painkillers and he had to prioritize who was going to get out first yeah, yeah 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 and like my problem's not you know my, my I'm managed easily enough except that they couldn't find the second dose of morphine like we could find it but they couldn't find the key and the, that that was probably the worst pain like the pain got so intense but all right, you know, let's uh, let's take a break and pick this up. That now. sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> that was Charcoal talking about how he survived falling on the embers of the man at Burning Man 2006. We wrap up this interview with Charcoal explaining why he had to come back to Burning Man the following year after his ordeal and what it all meant. So that was your first year at Burning Man, 2006, and you came back. Yeah, yeah. So that experience did not, I mean, that experience, what? It made you, I mean, Burning Man was that great that despite your your injuries, you wanted to come back? It was such an incredible experience. It was probably the most magic, it was the most magic week of my life. It was um, absolutely amazing. It It reinforced my deep belief in... And all things good. Like, like I, I actually, I actually tried testing it. I was in 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 Ukraine, in the in the Belgian waffle, and I loved that place, like a, like a cathedral, and like sometimes it made me want to cry, and other times just laugh, and just I just love walking around and looking at it. It was just beautiful and glorious, and great music and killer crowd, just best crowd. And I kind of thought, ah, I test it, like I just want to scratch it, like perhaps this is just superficial. I was scared it was superficial, and I saw this guy standing on the corner, like this Japanese guy, and like he's dressed kind of reasonably plainly, like just shirt and kind of you know jeans, and I thought, well. I'll pick you because I think I've got nothing in common with you. I've got nothing. I like. I hate. It shames me to say, but I think I don't have anything in common with you. I'm gonna go and talk to you, and like, so I went up and chatted to him, and like, you're like, what country you come from? Oh, Australia. What country? You're like, oh, Australia, 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 and like, you know, he's got really, really excited, and like, you know, and and he started to unbutton his shirt, and he flinged open his shirt, and underneath he's wearing a t-shirt which said Nimbin, which is like the wicked hippie capital of of, of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> so like, like the one guy I pick, you know, like, all right, this is a test and this got a good test. This guy got nothing going with. Like, he's actually wearing a shirt from where I'm from. So, wow. yeah. And, like, so what brings you back to Burning Man? I have to add, it was an easy decision to come back. I did anguish over it. Like, eventually I made a decision about three months out from this year. It's like, none. like, I got to go. Like, I can't, like... Like you, you got if you're thrown off a horse, like you have to get back on. And like I love it, like I really love Burning Man, and like I was worried that something might happen to me again. Like that was perhaps my fear. Like perhaps it's like Burning Man's just dangerous for me. But I find I learn so much. I find I learn more in with the one week of Burning Man. I think I learned in ten years, like about myself, about life, about 
just sorting my own shit out, like growing up, for God's sake, or like, what was, like, just, you know, so, like really opened my eyes and really, really changed the way I see things. And like, I love the way it's hard. I love the way it's tough. Like, and and, and, and when watching, the, watching the, the culture, like the ground up, like these basic kind of rules and like safety third. <laughs> That's yeah. what I learned this year. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> love and laughter. <laughs> so you've had trauma. You've suffered severe burns at Burning Man, but you don't seem to be suffering emotionally. You don't seem depressed. You look fully fine. Your hand actually looks like it works. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fine. I'm even back playing guitar. Oh, you are? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, I mean, the American surgeons did an amazing job. Absolutely amazing. Like, I'm, I saw my hand. Like, I know what it looked like. I didn't think that was salvageable. Like, for me, going through it, I, it was a great lesson because it was, there's no rewind button. Time goes forwards. There's, you can't go back and, like, you're here now. And, like, unless you have a time machine, an H.G. Wells thing, like, man, you're on play. Like, you're on go. And, like, I came out, I was in such a good headspace. Like, that, that festival put me in such a good place. Like, and I'd been so, like, totally, my head and all, like, I needed something to heal me. And, like, I didn't know what it was. And, like, this festival just totally, like, to go from that state before to, like, where I was after, my God. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, I was, like, I felt I'd lost my soul. I'd lost my soul. Like, I lost my kind of, my spirit, my life. Like, I, like, there would be no pleasure in, like, in life ever again. Like, yeah, but, but by the time I hit the hospital, it was just like, you know, I can't go backwards and just make the most of where, where, where I am. You know, it's not that bad. You know, it's it's like quite fun. <laughs> We're in a ball in the ambulance. And like, I can't, I, I can only control what I can control and what I can control, I'll do the best. And what I can't do, then I can't do it. So what can you control? Your awareness. Yeah, where you channel that, perhaps. Like if you focus in on all the misery and guts and horrible things going on around you, yeah, you can get right into it. There's plenty of stuff there. (laughs) Or you can look at the beauty I wish I had a nice, succinct, little, snappy, you know, <laughs> like, you know, the meaning of this was X, Y, Z, and I learned blah, but it's still an evolution. Yeah. And I still, I've become very mindful not to create any more negative karma, like never to create, never to do it. And then someone's, like karma's karma, like, you, and like, I still get it wrong. I still get it wrong. But like, I know and like I correct, and like like we saw at the top of the stairs in the in this house where we're recording the interview, if you stumble, make it part of the dance. He's he's talking about a sign that my f- friend Jen has at the top of the stairs. Yeah, did that really speak to you? Yeah, totally. Yeah. Because I was coming here to explain what happened, and like for me, it's great shame. From this place comes some great shame, and to share that with you. It's scary for me, but like uh, it's what I am and what I did. And as I walked up the stairs and I saw that, it's like, 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 oh, I stumbled, I stumbled, but like, hopefully, I'm still dancing. I mean, like, (laughs) love and laughter. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's all right. (laughs) It's a great pleasure to bomb, and you are the bomb. Ha, 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 ha.
have been listening to Burncast, a podcast spreading the flames about the art, culture, and community of Burning Man. For more information, visit us at www.burncast.tv. To contact us, please call 775-363-5861 or send us an email at burncast at gmail.com. Music in today's show is by Hands Upon the Black Earth, available at magnatune.com. A very special thanks to Lector of nospectators.com for hosting these podcasts.